Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who've been diagnosed with lung cancer. Lisa was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in 2014 and received targeted therapy via a clinical trial. Kevin was diagnosed with stage three non-small cell lung cancer in 2014 and received oral chemotherapy. And Jeanette, who was diagnosed in 2012, who received surgery to treat her cancer. You can find information and support for people with lung cancer at lungfoundation.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. It was very daunting. Um, uh, when he told me, uh, I think I might have got into denial a little bit. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was like a shock. I went into hospital for a pleural effusion and possibly pneumonia. And then I had to go back to find out later on what the diagnosis was and they sent me a letter and I went and met an oncologist and I was wondering why I was in the oncology department and then I was told that I had a cancer, I had a, st- a stage three uh, non-small cell lung cancer and it was incurable and inoperable and I think I just numbed out. I just thought, I can't be. I mean, I don't smoke. I did 43 years ago. I stopped smoking. But, you know, I've lived this pretty clean, healthy lifestyle and bang, here I am. I've got lung cancer of all things. I was diagnosed in November 2014 and I had been pregnant prior to my diagnosis and had difficulty breathing and shortness of breath and at the time was diagnosed with asthma. Um, my GP sent me for a CT scan and that's, that confirmed that there was a suspect, suspected mass in my lung. I was in a really physically vulnerable state. So for me, um, I don't actually remember them telling me that it had been confirmed. Um, probably in talking with family members and friends, they have um, clarified the circumstances um, of when that happened. And um, I was in hospital for a long period of time, so I was given lots of information about my diagnosis over a long period of time. So it wasn't like I sat down and I was told, you have lung cancer, this is the extent of it and this is what we're going to do for you. I was diagnosed in 2012. Um, That was after I went to my GP. I was training for a half marathon, feeling very breathless, and I was quite a fit person. Um, previous to that and I knew that wasn't right and I sort of developed a bit of a cough. I mean the process of diagnosis was fairly lengthy 
and I think probably was easier to to deal with because I was sort of dealing with each stage, not knowing where the next stage would be. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. The treatment that was offered to me was a, a chemotherapy, an oral chemotherapy, which specifically targeted lung cancer. And they decided that that would be the better one of any for me to take. There were other options, but that could be the one that I should be thinking of taking. So that was offered to me. So I was in hospital when I received my, the news of my diagnosis and when I was um, told that there was a treatment option for me. So I was sat down in a room with the oncologist and specialist and they basically had one particular treatment, uh, which was a clinical trial, that they um, presented to me. And at the time, um, I thought of as many questions as I possibly could to ask them. Um, obviously, it's really difficult because there's so many emotions going on at the time. However, I didn't necessarily have many options to consider. They presented the one and that's what I had to go home and think about. The diagnosis, it was it's a flood of emotions. And I think when I look back now, I probably would have asked more questions. But I accepted the advice that I was given. And I checked with my family and friends that had the knowledge. But my gut feel was that the chemotherapy was the right way to go. My children certainly didn't want to see anything else but that. They wanted me to give it my best. To be honest, um, you do get a lot of information when you're in hospital. In particular, in my case, I was in, I was in hospital for two weeks. So I was consulted by numerous specialists um, every day. And there were times when family did come in and ask, who saw you? And I had absolutely no idea. So one strategy a friend had suggested was to use a notepad and pen and every time someone came into my room and introduced themselves, I'd write their name down. I'd even stop and ask them to spell it if I wasn't able to um, articulate what it was that they were saying. So then I would take notes as they spoke and that just helped me to then relay that information on to family members who weren't actually able to be present at the time because doctors do come in unexpectedly, I guess. And that was a fantastic strategy for me. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects, and they can vary from person to person, depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. But once I started treatment, um, I knew that I was on the right track. So. I, being on a clinical trial, the requirements were that I started on the highest possible dose. I'm only very small in stature, and so therefore it knocked me around quite a bit. Um, I struggled initially, and actually for quite some time, and over time they slowly reduce your dose based on how well you tolerate the side effects of the drug. Over time, once um, I consulted with my oncologist, it was every three weeks, they would often talk about what the side effects were I was experiencing and discuss whether they felt that was appropriate or not. In their eyes, it was about living a relatively normal life and a, a good quality of life. So um, 
I guess having my husband there at all those appointments, he was able to see the medical point of view and he was able to see my point of view and that really helped to enlighten me into which direction I needed to go. Um, my initial call was not to reduce my, my medication but that only lasted about four more days and I was at the point where I just, I was that bad, I just couldn't cope. So I made a call to the hospital, they said come in and they consulted with me and we reduced my dose. Had the lobectomy, um, they were fairly certain they took some lymph nodes and thought they, w- they looked clear but they, they did say they had to send them away to the pathology, it can take four weeks. I sort of didn't really hear that side of it and um, I set about just preparing myself going back to work and I went to see my surgeon four weeks after the operation, just ready to get signed off to start work on the Monday and um, he dropped a bombshell and said, you've got um, cancer cell in my lymph node so he recommends I have the adjuvant chemotherapy. So that was my first diagnosis. Um, So I went back into my role where I held a very senior role at Monash, so it was a very stressful, busy job. Um, But I I sort of threw myself into it, a bit of a different approach um, because because of what the diagnosis I'd had. Um, And towards the end of that year, I just started coughing again and I knew it wasn't right. And um, again, my GP referred me to my respiratory physician where I did a CAT scan. I started on that... uh about two years ago, just over two years ago. And first of all, it didn't, I I wasn't sure whether it was working or not because I wasn't getting really any better. I was getting probably a little bit worse and I had two more effusion build-ups, which meant that I had to go back into hospital to have this fluid drain. After that, they decided they would do something which was called a pleurodesis. That is an operation where they seal the pleura to the lung. And that was that was carried out. And after that, that was the turning point for me. I just seemed to get better and better gradually. So that treatment option was, I think, the best but I still stayed on to the other medication that they prescribed, the the chemotherapy, the oral one, and I'm still taking that today. During the process, I was living in the city here and, um, of course, I I couldn't work, so um, my, my thought was to be near my daughter. When I moved cities, I was had an opportunity to then interview my own medical team, a GP that was recommended to me, um, the oncologist that was recommended to me. So I had meetings with with those people and I have to say that um, that was really satisfying, just the fact that they would put the time in to listen to my story, look at my scans, and um, I felt like I was a person and that I actually, there was some hope there. there was, we were focusing on the positives, that I had a lot of other health benefits. I was young, I didn't have heart disease, diabetes, any other sort of other health factors that might um, interfere with just, you know, I just had this cancer. And so um, my oncologist was very optimistic that I could get through a lot of those cycles, which I did, um, 16 months worth of chemo, until my body finally said, enough's enough, and I started to develop an allergy. 
So um, he was then forced to think, well, where do we go from here? And there were there's, there were certainly plenty of options. There was chemo, immunotherapy. But he um, he talked to my surgeon. They looked at my they they did another PET scan, looked at my scans, and they determined that they um, that my surgeon was prepared to actually operate and where I'd had the first lobectomy first, decided that he could do a full pneumonectomy, take my whole right lung away. It is radical surgery, but given I had all the other health factors and I was young, that they felt that I could actually cope with 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 that. So that's what I ended up doing. And of course, having the lung removed with the cancer has meant that I haven't had to have any chemotherapy um, at this point. So today, actually, is 12 months exactly since I had that surgery. Dieting and exercise are critical. Um, I, th- I think at one of the workshops that I went to, they, 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 they mentioned that exercise, stay as fit as you can, and that, that, is, that is one of the most important things you can do, is to keep fit. And so I, I looked at what I was doing, tried doing more exercise, got the weights out, and started walking. I mean, I'd been doing all those things all of my life, but but uh, now here I, I have to do it even more so. And I chose to uh, to to walk every day as much as I could, push myself as much as I could, and I now walk up to five kilometres a day in the morning, and I go to gym three times a week after. I was diagnosed, I decided I would join the local clinic where I live. And I found a new doctor. Uh, she put me on a, on a program and I have received fantastic service from the clinic. They have also a dietitian, uh, a physiotherapist and I went there and I showed them all the exercises I do. So at first I didn't know where to go or who to see, but I found all these um, services are available and they've been really good. I think it's important to look after the holistic self, not just focus on the cancer um, itself, but on your physical, mental well-being also. Um, so when I had the pneumonectomy a year ago, uh, I, you know, as I said before, I was told that it was very major and that it was, you know, going to be quite quite a change from going from two lungs to one lung. So um, I did not understand the, the the severity of it, really, I guess. And it wasn't until I got home and realised, you know, how breathless I was. I went to my GP about this because it just didn't seem that I was getting anywhere. So she found a respiratory physician, rang and talked about my history and that she had looked into these pulmonary rehabilitation programs and she thought that would be applicable for me. So immediately I got an appointment to see the respiratory physician who checked me over and referred me straight through. And that was probably the best decision I've ever made in terms of my recovery. The intimacy, you know, from an, a point of view where there's a lot going on 
you know, you're physically pushed um, from a time fraction point of view. You know, you're expected to attend many more appointments and do things like that. So the fatigue factor was huge. And we probably don't spend enough time doing the date night type things because we're always so worried about the family, the kids. Um, and it's definitely been compromised, I would say absolutely, which has been probably hard on both of us. But we know that deep down that we're working towards an end goal and to us that's more important than anything else. Yeah, look, when I was originally diagnosed, there wasn't much out there in terms of support groups and I actually became involved in a really newly developed support group. It's the only face-to-face -face support group in Victoria. Um, it's called the Love and Light Lung Cancer Support Group. It is for carers, supporters and patients. Um, so, yeah, we see people from um, each of those categories, which has been really good. And then there's been the Lung Foundation, who um, are a, an amazing organisation that provide quite a lot of resources, similar to, also to the Cancer Council. But I would try and do one thing a week um, on the good week, that at least one thing that I would catch up with somebody new and, um, and that would be enjoyable. But I think it's important to add do something enjoyable and when you are feeling well embrace those opportunities like go to that ex exhibition or if you've got a, a few days of feeling well take that little trip away because like I've realised you just don't know when that's going to change and um, it's just then it's taken away from you so try to do it if you can. My GP was the linchpin in coordinating all this support the pulmonary rehab the respiratory physician and um, you know, definitely throughout this process, communication, all talking, all being in the loop um, has been important. And I know, you know, just because I see sort of, I see a surgeon, an oncologist, a respiratory physician, my GP, the rehab, they all write letters and they're all copied to everybody. So everybody's kept in the loop so that when I go to my oncologist has got all the letters from all my other specialists and, um, and I think that's really important too. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. I think you have to have a positive approach and self-belief. This is really important. I mean, if you, if you don't think you can get there, you're not going to get there. So you really have to push yourself. And I, I meditate and I... I and I really, really push myself to, to do exercise. And I know sometimes it hurts, but I do it. And I know there's a benefit to it. And I, 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 know, I know that. And I probably feel that those benefits have really come home now. And I've got back to a point where I can say I feel well. I feel, I feel I've got my health back. And I can do all the things that I could do before I got sick. For me, it was important that my medical team and I bonded and, and that we felt connected. I think if if you don't feel that, then it's going to be, you know, the journey, the journey may be long and you need to have, you need to like those people and trust those people and they need to do vice versa. It's got to be a mutual respect for each other and trust. So um, that that's one thing I think, you know, don't, just take the first one that's perhaps presented to you if you're not comfortable with it. Um, 
And also for me, I felt, and this is probably my human resources background coming out, I wanted to be organised and planned and have my book with all my, my details in it. But I also wanted to organise all parts of my life, you know, declutter and do all those things which were quite um, liberating um, while I was well enough to do so. Um, uh, what else would I say? Yeah, ask lots of questions. I think always have somebody with you. I think that's really important um, because I know I don't hear all they're saying to me. I'm stuck on something and then they've gone off and um, moved forward and um, I've missed it. So, so taking somebody with you that you trust um, and can write it down um, with you, yeah, I think that's very important. To get through each day, I would often wake up every morning and think of five things I was grateful for. And I wouldn't get out of bed till I had done that. Um, something else was also just knowing what my will to live was. Because if you've got a powerful will, then you've got a powerful life. So knowing that my children were my will to live and that each and every day they were the ones that I was getting up for my daughter would often run into my room and say, Mum, Mum, the sun's up. And, um, and I'd look at her and I'd say, yep, the sun is up. It's a new day and I'm alive. Um, well, not necessarily say that to her, but say it to myself. Some of the strategies that I used to keep myself going during this whole period certainly was um, most beneficial was the use of a psychologist, and that was referred by my GP, um, because my head was spinning with a thousand thoughts. And I, I just wasn't able to focus on any one thing. And um, I sort of thought I had so many things to do. So it went through my mind, I need to get everything in order, I need to simplify my life. So um, I started seeing the psychologist that my GP had recommended. We had a really good connection. And um, we talked about strategies. And she certainly taught me meditation, living in the moment, living in the present. Um, the worrying thoughts that I used to get through every night and I wasn't sleeping, um, you know, she, she, she would say, you know, do your meditation, you know, work from your toes up and then park the thoughts, park them on the shelf, you know, and so sort of visibly, sort of visually in my head doing that was really helpful and I could then sort of put that to bed and then think about some other nice things and I used to think about the sea washing over my my feet. So I think that was um, definitely very helpful. Music was a big part of my life. I had theme songs for my different emotions and you know when I was angry I'd play some great songs and I'd feel really good after I'd sang them out really loudly. Um, and, and my daughters, they found that useful as well. We used to do it together. Um, so music was certainly a big part of it. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said, and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments, and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. 
seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20, where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse. Or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au And to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Lisa, Kevin and Jeanette who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.